what I would like to do this morning is that I, I might actually just feel really stirred to, to break into my, uh, our series on the parables. And uh, there have been um, now several significant uh, prophecies that, that God has spoken to us, particularly in the last few months. Uh, they all sort of say the same thing. If you listen uh, to Liz this morning, it's a promise that God is going to move uh, amongst us. And we need to, to pray that gives us, um, God gives us a, a spirit of what I call expectation uh, as we move into the season of God's blessing. Now, what my observation is generally this is the thing that happens, and I don't mean this in, at all in condemnation or anything like that. I'm just making observations, and that's what I want to do this morning. Some of you might cringe that it might be a bit theologically on the line, but I don't care. Um, and it's, it's my observation is this, that when you get a prophecy that comes and it says a particular thing, there is usually quite an impact to it. And then what happens after that is that, is that I, have to, I have to say my expectation is often higher. My observation, if I can put it like this, is that, is that I, I've felt that when they've come, that the next time that we meet, that we would be fueled by those prophecies. Something will have changed in us, and and there would be, uh, if you like, a, a move of, of of the change of atmosphere. If that if, if that's the right word, and then and and I thought that I thought you know blow you know when that word came you know the next time we meet it's we we get you know the, there's, it's going to be up here. What has actually happened? I don't know whether you've observed this. Is, is that, you know, it, it's uh, the, the prophetic words, which I believe have been extremely significant, have actually made very little impact in terms of how we have reacted to them. And I don't want to do that as, um, as condemnation, but there, there is a way um, that, we, that they, they are given so that we actually can change. And... I think unless we get this, unless we learn this lesson, what's going to happen is that God is actually going to keep saying the same thing, which actually is. I don't know if you've gathered this yet, that Liz's was the same as the Joe's, as the same as Ginny's, as the same as Isaiah 35, as the same as Ian's and so forth. They've all been the same thing. And I think God is going to actually keep saying the same thing until we actually respond back to them. We're going to have the same thing. You're just going to have somebody else say, I feel this. Because God is looking for a response in us. He's not looking for us to go, that's nice. He's looking for us to respond to them. And that's what I want to uh, address this morning. So I want to attempt to actually teach into them. And therefore, um, just to upset Ralph Kinch, because I know that Ralph loves to, to actually expound a passage, I'm just going to make him very uncomfortable and say, Ralph, I'm very sorry, but for one week only, I'm just not going to do that. And, uh, but you'll be all right because Joanna will sit on you if you squirm. But, and and uh, what I'd like us to, to begin to look at is um, one of the keys to seeing God move is actually to do with the area of faith. That I have got faith that, can, that believes that these things are actually going to happen. I believe it. I believe it. 
And faith can also uh, be broken up into different areas. Theologians say one aspect of faith is actually the subject of expectation. Is expectation. And they say this under the subject of faith. They say expectation is the ability to see what God is about to do and is fueled by promises. Now, I think God has been trying to fuel our promises, fuel us with promises. And they go on to say this. They say expectation creates anticipation which changes the atmosphere which allows God to move. Now, I don't understand that in terms of atmosphere, apart from that if you go to the move of God in Cumbran, I've had some feedback from different people that have been there to their revival meetings. And commonly, the theme is this. The preaching is not that good. The worship is okay. The people seem to be quite rough and ready. But the, the atmosphere is out of the room. It's extremely high. Therefore, there's an expectation that God will move. Therefore, God does move. And it's a quite strange thing. Now, if you're from a technical background, you go, the PA squeaked. Uh, And to be honest, at this point, I don't care whether the PA squeaks or not, really. But I I think that they they have got something that we need to grasp, uh, uh, grasp. So... What I'd like to do is just walk you through some of these things. They're not particularly uh, a sermon. Uh, it is that, that I want us to try and see. And if it doesn't make sense to you, it's all right. I'm not here next weekend because I'm taking my wife away. So there you go. Um, if you look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, it says this. It says, while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. So he'd gathered the disciples. They were waiting in what would be the upper room and they expected what is described here as the promise of the Father. Now, I want you to stop and stop thinking religiously in terms of this. I want you to think dynamically into this. Now, Jesus had taught into this, so they'd got an idea what was coming. But if you were in a room gathered together and you were waiting for what would be the promise of the Father, what would you be doing and saying? That's what I want to get into your head. This is not a cold sort of situation here. I want you to imagine the atmosphere of the room. It would have been perhaps uh, full of suspense and anticipation. It would have been uh, a little bit, I'm not sure what is going to go on here. A little bit nervy and that sort of stuff. They would have been, what do you think? What do you think? What what do you got an idea of what this is going to look like, sound like, feel like? It isn't cold at all. It is is heavily charged. And uh, it doesn't mean, as, as used to be described to me then, it's not sort of to idly sit around and wait for God to do something because I think that can be an attitude that we can take, that we can wait and wait can be, well, God will do something and then I'll jump on the back of it. That, what, that isn't what is happening here. There was an attitude, if I can say that, about waiting in this room that they all adopted. There was something about their character. Now, in the Bible, there are five Greek words used to define how we wait. 
And interestingly enough, in terms of the one that's used here, you could intersperse all of them. Which, which the idea of that is that you're supposed to see in this passage the immensity of the promise of the Father. So you can intersperse it. And theologians look at this and they go, we're not quite sure which one to fit in here. And that's the point. The theologians are supposed to be confounded because we're supposed to see the enormity of the promise of the Father, which would be the Spirit. Which is wonderful, isn't it? Because if we'd have got one. So I want to take you through some of those five words I want to take you to the passage where they are, but you've got to imagine. So the first word is a, a Greek word called uh, anameno. And anameno uh, primarily is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, And to wait for the Son from heaven, and he whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And the... the expectation and the waiting here is to wait patiently and anticipate in advance. It talks about here uh, a constant and consistent anticipation that something will happen. It's something that you, you believed yesterday, you believe today, you believe tomorrow, I'm not moving from it. It's that sort of thing. It's the whole thing that you believe eventually that the bus will turn up and you'll get on it or the train will go and that sort of stuff. No, I believe this. It's unshakable. That's the way that it is. You're not going to change me. Believed it yesterday. Believed it tomorrow. It will happen. That's the first word. So, so the word that we're looking at has that in it. There's another one. Uh, it's the Greek word apedokomai. Ap and that's found in Romans chapter 8. As, and it's uh, verse 23 to 25. And this changes the, the atmosphere of it. So, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Remember that? Uh, where we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this, uh, in this hope we are saved. Now, we, we hope that, uh, now hope that is seen is not hope. For uh, who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, and we wait with patience. And what has changed here in the Greek word is that it has become intense. It has become eager. There's an excitement to it. And it's both that feeling, I don't know whether you've ever felt that, of both agony and excitement running at the same time. So there's an excitement that something might happen, and the product of that is creating an agony inside here. It hurts to wait. Now, if you've got children, you know what that looks like on Christmas Eve, don't you? It's both exciting and it blooming hurts. You know, why does the clock slow up and all that sort of stuff? But can you imagine? It's a gut thing. It's something that is affecting you on, the in, on your inner being. Third word is ekadomai. And ekadomai is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, where it says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And the Greek understanding of that is to look forward to something with open anticipation as you would welcome someone into your presence. And the idea of that one is, is the idea of it's, it's to get you tied up with the fact that someone's coming round. So if I can use Claire today, um, this is the way that it went. Claire's coming around for lunch today. Um, she uh, uh, contacted us and said, yeah, well, you come down. When we went shopping... 
Callie, this is the way that Callie was at Claire's coming round. We must do something uh, for Claire, which basically means that, that, that it was a little bit racked up from what I would normally get because Claire's coming. And, and she's coming around. And when somebody's coming around, the idea is, well, if you don't, you should, that you are actually supposed to prepare for that person coming around. And that's the idea. I'm preparing for something that is about to happen. I'm getting myself ready, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I'm preparing for that. That's Ekadomai. He's looking forward to a city, that's foundations. Uh, I'm preparing myself for that. So, uh, prostekomai. Prostekomai is Acts 23, uh, verse 21. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. Now they're ready, waiting for your consent. And the idea of this one is to accept openly that an order is given. And the best way of describing this in our terms is the fact of the starting gun at a race. That's the best way of describing this. And here in this passage, they're waiting for an order to go. So if you can imagine, we've got a 100-meter line, there's eight lanes, and there's a bloke with a gun. Now, if the, what we would be doing normally is that we would be firing the gun. And when the gun goes off, what doesn't happen is they go, did they fire it? Did the gun go? No, you go first. You run. As soon as the gun goes, there is an anticipation that there's a bloke on a little box, he's going to fire the gun, and at that point we're going to run. We're going to obey the order of the guy that said run. So in terms of waiting for the promise of the father, they're basically saying as soon as the gun goes off, we're running. We're on this. We're going to obey that particular order. I'm waiting for it. I'm going to go. Now, I hope that when you uh, watch the next meet in Birmingham Athletics or the one that was on yesterday and today at Gateshead, that you've not seen anybody. It's interesting, though, isn't it? You can have a full start. And I love that because in this terms, a full start is quite good. That was it. And, and that's better. I'd rather have four, far more full starts than the others. And the last one, uh, uh, Prostduco. Now, Prostuco is Luke 3.15. And the people were in expectation. They were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Now, what we know is that he wasn't the Christ. But something was going on in their hearts. There was a strain of inquiry. There was a push through. There was an anticipation. They They were trying to press into to find out is this the person it, it wasn't do you think he's him do you well, what do you think no there was a real push an inquiry inquisitive pressure to find out is this the one there was a discussion there was a talk there was a conversation in terms of this we we're not going to let this go we we want to we want to find out is this god is this god is this? it's that sort of thing that's going on here um, now, all these are definitions of waiting and anticipation. But can you just begin to see with these ones what God is expecting from us in terms of a move of God? What he's looking for in us. Now, I would say, just being, if I may, uh, a little bit truthful, some of these are lacking in us, guys. We need to do this. We need to have a posture and an attitude in terms of these sort of things. So I want us to challenge about that. Don't, don't let these prophecies just go. So 
Let's move on a bit. This is where I get into theological illy-dilly. And uh, this is where I get an email. But there you go. Try and answer it. Uh, Waiting and knowing. Uh, We have an example of what I'm talking about uh, in Luke 2. Do you remember where Simeon uh, is waiting for Jesus to be born and waiting him to come and be? You can see this there. And uh, in Luke chapter 2, it says this, verse 25. Now, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and is devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he has adopted this sense of the, that Jesus is going to come, but also in, 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 in his way of doing that, he makes sure that he's also full of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how the two are linked together? The, I, you know, and, and actually, uh, I believe this, that less full of the Holy Spirit affects your hope. You know that, don't you? Because what happens is the, the, the less you are filled, the less you're empowered, that sort of hope sort of just goes out here somewhere. You, you begin to see with complaining eyes and, and things. When, when, you, when you are filled with the Spirit, suddenly hope is there, isn't it? And so you can see that there, what sort of man this is. And then you go on to Luke chapter 2, a bit further, 36 to 8, and we encounter a lady called Anna. Anna is a, a wonderful uh, prophetess, the daughter of uh, Faniel. She's from the tribe of Asher. And she uh, is advanced in many years, as it says, having lived with a husband uh, seven years from when she was a virgin. I don't know why we need to know that information in the Bible, but uh, all scriptures God breathe. 37, it says, and then as a widow until she, uh, until she was 84. I suppose we're, we marvel at the marriage, don't we? And, and the heart of the lady. Uh, she did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting and praying night and day. And coming up uh, at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So Anna, actually, what she did is that she, she had a practice of expectation. And you can see it. And her practice of expectation was worshipping, praying day and night, fasting. I don't know whether any of you have picked up these prophetic words and said, I'm going to fast this in and uh, see what happens. But you see, expectation is more than a feeling. It isn't just the buzz. And that's what I'm trying to say that we need to just change a little bit. Isn't the buzz that's in a meeting it is, she was looking and believing that God was about to move and that led her to respond with lifestyle changes. That was how what happened. Now, if you think we were on dicky water then, we're going on more dicky water now because we're going to look at stirring your waters. That's nothing to do with your bladder, by the way. Um, which, If you look at John chapter 5, there's a really interesting story um, where you've got a, a group of people and they gather at Bethesda. Now, when they gather at Bethesda, what they're doing is they're waiting for the pool at Bethesda to stir. And uh, what they knew there was that uh, if, if the water stirred and somebody got in it, they would be healed. So what happened there was that it would gather a group of people 
And these group of people uh, were, were the sick. So you've got the blind, the lame, the deaf, the, la- the lepers. And there's a group of people here. They are anticipating that something is about to occur. They're expecting God to move. Bethesda's called the house of mercy, the house of the olive tree or the house of oil. That's the description. So you can see also why they were gathered. It's a place of healing. And, and at this place, there were seasons uh, where the Lord would come down, stir the waters of the pool, and the first one in would get healed. And this is why there's a queue, and this is why it's large. First one in. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine. And this is an orderly British queue, isn't it? Do you think it was like that? It, it's bonfire at the OK Corral, isn't it, really? Why? Because there's, there's a desperate state about their own need, and there's a miracle in front of them. There's two things here. They know their own position, and they know what God could do. It, it, it isn't like the Tesco line or anything like that. This was, a, this was probably an unorderly queue. There was a crowd, and they believed that if they pushed through and got into the waters, that the, once it, the waters began to move, that they would be healed, and history proved that that, that that would be true. Now, that point is very important. The history says that God will move. It's very important. Our history, both in the nation of Wales and in the nation of of the UK, is that we know that God will will do exactly what he said according to his promises. So we know that in the existence of our history, both in the nation of Wales and in Scotland and in Ireland and in England, that historically God has promised to move. And yet there is no sense, is there, even with all those promises, that there is a gathered people expecting that. Do you see that? Historically, these people were knew God would move, they're at the pool. And what sort of people are they? They're the sick. They're, they're there. And uh, that's what they, they believed in. Now, there are seasons when God will stir our water. And that's what these promises are about. I'm going to stir the waters of Gateway Church Wrexham. And there are all these prophecies saying that. It's, all, it's the same thing, isn't it? I'm going to stir it this way, that way. And I, well, I'm going to stir it. And in the context of these stirrings, there are always supernatural acts that will come. We will probably see salvation, people's lives changed, people's lives healed, numbers added to us. Now, how are we to react to this? Well, firstly, we have a historic thing. We should react to these things because God is speaking and we know historically he's done it in the past. We should react to these things. The other side of it is that we should actually behave like these sick people. We should be, whether we should, we should behave like the blind and the lame and the deaf and the lepers. We should believe that, you know, that if I push through and get in here, that I'm going to encounter God. It it shouldn't be a, you know, well, I I swan in anywhere. I I, I treat anything uh, in in, in that way. We shouldn't shouldn't actually be, at this point, um, casual. We, We should be very serious in terms of these things. There shouldn't be a casual attitude to church or to anything. God is about to move. And there should be a sense of pushing in, of, 
of, of queuing up, of, of, uh, uh, of uh, pushing forward in, that, in our attitude of, of doing that. So, let me take you to another one, just so that you're not theologically correct about this. I'll just keep continuing. But can you see in these things, if you look at these, what I found was that if you look at these things from a different angle, you can see, do you, do you see what I mean? You can see a different aspect to them if you look at it through these eyes. So, uh, we have a different example of expectation in the early church in the book of Acts, where Cornelius expected a move of the Holy Spirit. And he expected it on a person that would enter his house. And uh, God had spoken to him. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called them together, that's his relatives and his close friends. It's really interesting here. Not only did he expect God to move, but he was so full of anticipation that God would move that he gets his friends and his relatives to his house. Can you see that? Now, my expectation, and probably shared with yours, is that my expectation is not that high, because if my expectation was high, I would be begging my neighbours and my friends to get here, because I believe that God's not just going to move across, he's going to move across them all. Now, can you just see as a challenge how low our expectation is? Can you see that? Now, I don't mean it again in terms of condemnation, but you can see it here. He thinks God's going to move, oh, blooming out, I need to get everybody. I need to get them there. So it actually is a little bit of the Cumbran thing, isn't it? A little bit of the Cumbran thing is we need to get as many here as we can. That's why people are travelling to it. People are going to it. Kelly and I would like to look at it if we can. In, in our sabbatical, people are travelling, even from other nations, to go to it. And our expectation is actually so low and God wants to change it. Because... Else, the other thing is, uh, do it interesting this morning, just God coming through and Phil changed those words, that still in our mind, he could have said, uh, he could have said, in the following day, he entered Caesarea, that's Peter, Cornelius was expecting them, and he thought, this is going to be a great time for me. And he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say, I'm going to have a whale of a time with Peter, and God's going to bless me. It's just really great that Peter and I can spend some time together. Didn't do that. His expectation was God's going to meet with me and my family and my friends. So Peter arrives at his house. I've written hose here. And sorry for, the, for that one. Uh, there's a spelling mistake, Denzel. And he falls at Peter's feet, which is really interesting. And Peter tells him to get up because he's just a man. And uh, then, of course, we know the whole family and friends are filled with the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, I want us to just finish with this one by seeing us two things. We receive things from men every week and from people from every week who serve us. But it's interesting that Cornelius' viewpoint was this man is going to be used of God who will impart something to me. Now, I don't want, I'm away next week, <laughs> so I'm all right. So you haven't got to put this expectation But sometimes our expectation is what I call a listening thing rather than imparting thing. See, Cornelius' thing was that God is going to use this man to encounter me. And I just wonder how you came this morning, particularly if I check, you know, you just came to, to listen to my sermon? Or did you come with an expectation that God was going to speak to you through me? And that is one of the changes that we need to have if we're going to follow these things. 
that God could speak to us through the prophetic words and, and change a life, that he could speak to us through a song, that he could speak to, to you through, through me. And, and sort of you can do the, it's just Nigel again. Again. I've heard that story before, Nigel. And, and actually, some of, the thing, some of that sort of thing needs to uh, change. And uh, it's, it's time actually as well to, if we're going to keep on having these words, to think, I, I need to begin to invite my friends and family. I need to do that because I believe that God's going to move. So we need to have an expectation that God's going to speak through the man and that he's going to move through. Now you probably know if you're at the church meeting that I've booked Terry Virgo to speak. And one of the reasons that I'm going to do that, that I've done that, is that I believe that he's going to speak to us as a church. I thoroughly believe that. I don't believe that it's, it's an accident in a history of a church I believe that he's going to speak to us. I believe he's going to have a word for us as a church, that he's going to impart something. And we need to have that anticipation that God is going to meet with us through. That's why I'm coming. That's why I'm going to be there early. That's why I'm going to get my toast in so that my stomach's ready. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be prepared. I believe that he's going to bless many through it. But I believe that it will lose impact if it's only about you. If you have a Cornelius attitude towards it, if the thing that you do is about you and your ministry and what you, it's going to be wrong, guys. Our attitude to Terry has got to be, I want to get as many people as I can because I'm expecting that God will speak to him and and my friends and my family will get changed. Do you you see that? Not, thank you. Where's my thingy? Okay. Okay. Asking with anticipation. You know, sadly, there are, there are people who, what I call, measure church. They, they sort of measure it. And uh, it doesn't help, guys. So we, we have a scale. You can tell that sort of thing. Nigel was good this morning. Better still. Nigel was rubbish. <laughs> you do that, do you? Worship was all right. Felt we missed that. Oh, we get that comment, do you? I mean, we worship. Felt we missed that. What on earth is that? Felt we missed that. I speaking to somebody this week, and I think the the start song could have been better. Well, what? Well, it was it heresy? Did we start off singing about Buddha? <laughs> no. Was it about God? Well, what's up with the start song? Was it about God? Yes. Well, how can it be wrong then if it's about God? Well, could, no. we do that sort of thing, don't we? we? We evaluate. How do you evaluate church? What you do is you evaluate church. Does it have this and does it have that? And we, do you, know, do you know, it's it's such a a thing that we do in church, doesn't, doesn't it? We it, we had this week a list. I don't know whether Steve's seen this list. I had the Borderlands feedback list. The Borderlands. If ever you want to be deflated, get the Borderlands feedback list. Why on earth do we ask people things like this? Oh, can I just tell you one of these things? I got offended at the humour. <laughs> you think? <laughs> got offended at the humour. 
must remember, be serious at all occasions forever. Never smile ever again. What is this? You just think it's truth. Actually, you just want to go and smack him and then have a laugh yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what a laugh, bosh! That made me laugh. What is it? I think if you can't laugh in church, where are you going to laugh then? And what are you laughing at? I don't laugh in church, but when there's something smutty on at 11 o'clock, I have a real laugh then. Come on, guys, we can't laugh in church. I mean, you just think, cross it off, Eric. Are you listening, Eric? This is on the iTunes. Listen, to, don't publicize it. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? Heaven, it's grim. There's nobody laughing up here. What? I don't want to go then. In hell, they're having a whale of a time. They're killing themselves laughing in hell. It's real fun down there. Come and join us. We're having a whale of a time. It's live at the Apollo down here. Up here, it's awful. Good grief, man. Shut up, but it's upset me. (laughs) But isn't that the way you do church? Isn't that the way it is? I'm going to do one for Phil Harmon. There's a certain place that we and, and Steve, they'll know. They go to coffee. They, they go, it's the worst coffee on the face of this. And we go in, oh no, we, and we, 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 the way that we do this is that it's nothing to do with sermon, but we do, we do this. We build ourselves up for it. We've got to go to this church today, and their coffee is awful. And, and the journey in their coffee, awful, coffee, awful, coffee, awful, coffee, awful. <laughs> and, and, you, and you get there, and it's, and it's just. It, and, and we evaluate the meeting before we've started. And we, we go, it's going to be a terrible meeting. The coffee was awful. And, and you just think, no wonder Claire buys hers. Have you never noticed this? <laughs> Claire has overcome that sanctification thing of bringing her own coffee so that she doesn't sin. Claire, we sinned every week because we evaluate church. Anyway, let's get on to this. Okay, what am I on about? Right now. Who put that list together? Delete. Don't like, don't like Christians laughing. Now shut up. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 6. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms for those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze to him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So the lame man had an expectation that if he sat at this gate of the temple, that he might receive something. Sit here, get something. That's posture, isn't it? Sit here, get something. It's just posture. It's the posture of expectation. Get here, do that. Verse 5 tells us they're expected to receive something from these men. He was asking for money. Why is he asking for money? He's sick, he's hungry, and he's thirsty. They're simple lessons, aren't they? They're not, it's not profound, is it, this? His expectation was posture. I need to get there. That's the first thing. I need to get up, get, get some blokes to carry me, get me there. Second thing, second thing, I'm hungry and thirsty. If I don't do this, I'm not going to meet with God. And you see, the, the hungry and thirsty, they do something about it, don't they? If you're hungry and thirsty, you act differently. 
Do we have noticed that? They do. Just uh, we, we need to be challenged about that, don't we? And the lame man's asking paid off, but he didn't get quite what he asked for because he was healed, which was better. And the Bible actually doesn't tell us of any miracles, that, any more miracles that happened at this gate. But it does tell us that he was there looking for something. And something happened in his heart when he saw Peter and John. And what was interesting is that he was not ashamed and embarrassed to ask. In fact, I think I can remember a previous sermon here. It wasn't preached by me, but I can remember who it was. I think the Bible actually tells us that he cried out to God, shouted out. Now these prophecies that promise so much should stir us to cry out to God. They shouldn't just be something that is post-its land. You know, I, I want to ask you, you know, have you taken those prophecies and said, you know, come and meet with me about these prophecies. Let's cry out to God together. You know, have you grabbed somebody? Usually they grab me, but have you grabbed somebody? Have you grabbed two or three or ten or twenty and said, look, look come round, you know, let's, let's pray this in. I don't think our prayer meetings should ever be missed or ever be described as dull, should they? Because what, what is this? this? This is, what is a prayer meeting? It's a, blame, it's a lame beggar sitting at the gate asking, his, asking for alms and getting more. That is a prayer meeting, guys. We need to rubbish anything of our past. It is getting people to get us there so that we can be before God and cry out to him and meet with him. That's what a prayer meeting is. If you want to know what a prayer meeting looks like, it looks like this. This is what a prayer meeting And that's probably why some of you don't go, because you don't actually understand that. that this is what a prayer meeting is all about. And it says this, Therefore, the, to the man that gathered and the man that got his friends to, t- to take him there and the man that was, th- the man that was lame and the man that was, uh, that was thirsty and the man that was hungry, it says he turned to them, he said, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Christ Jesus and now rise up and walk. Yeah? So not only do we need to ask, we need to impart. How do we do that? How far have I got? Oh, we're all right. I'll do this quickly. How do you impart it? Peter did, did not say, sil- did not have silver and gold, did he? But he said, what well, I have. Now, some of you have been very stirred about these prophetic words. And some of you actually haven't got a clue what I'm on about. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Um, but they have been given in the context of this meeting. Um, so you just haven't been around. Um, I apologise that you haven't, but you're hearing some of them now. And uh, some of you have told me about the importance of what he's hearing. And I really appreciate that you've told me, you know, that you've contacted the pastor. Let's contact the pastor and say, these are important. Can I ask you, I'm with you in that. You know, every one of you that you've sent me an email or sent me a, a note, I really appreciate that. Uh, I've stored it. I believe it with all my heart. I, I'm thrilled by it. It's wonderful. I'm amazed. Uh, 
and, and I am. But you know, can I encourage you um, to impart what, what you have been given to people that need it? <laughs> and sometimes what we do is that we give it, it's like, it's like Peter and John going by and saying, you know, shall we encourage each other as we go? And so there's a lame man down there. Forget the lame man. Let's encourage each other as we go. And that's what happens, you know. Peter, forget the... That's the sort of, and, and what, I'd, you know, we need to impart these things. You know, don't, don't just email me. Don't just talk to me. Don't just talk to the ones that have also prophesied. Have you imparted this to the people that need it? Have you passed it on? Have you called them? Have you asked to pop round to see them? Have you been and said, can I talk to you about these things? Peter said, look at us at the point that he, and at that point he had the lame man's attention. Don't, don't just get my attention. Get the attention also, everybody that, that needs that. Go and, go and spread your attention around. Impart your in, in, intention. Looking for a Expectation. I said at the very beginning that expectation is the ability to see what God is about to do and is fueled by promise. And a large battle of that is seeing something. What do you see? What do you see? What are you seeing? Can you see differently? There's a wonderful verse in Mark chapter 8, verse 25. And it says this, it says, And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything completely. And there are two understandings of that. Well, he saw clearly. Or not only did he see clearly, but he saw Jesus clearly. He saw both. He saw who was in front of him and he could see clearly. It's, you can interchange those. He, he can now see. And some of us need to look around and see. We need to see what these prophetic words look like. So we need to, say, we need to be thinking, what is that going to look like? Are we going to meet here? What are our meetings going to look like? What, what does this look like in terms of our prayer meetings, in terms of our connect groups, in terms of the way that we relate together? You, we, we need to almost have a, a sense of behaving like that rather than behaving like this. We need to change in terms of our thinking. Are we thinking towards those things and how we are going to uh, get those things uh, working and going and moving and what do you do? Um, there's a wonderful thing in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13. It says, And the Lord said to Abraham, before he was Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look to the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for it is a land that you see that I will give you and your offspring forever. And again, the Lord wanted Abraham not just to see a physical land. Oh, we meet in Catherine Finch Centre a lot like this. But he wanted to see the land full of the offspring. He wanted to say, look north. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's got mountains. Look left. That's got a lake. That's fine. No, I want you to look what this looks like populated. I want you to see what it looks like with cities and towns and sheep and people and all that going on. I want you to look at it completely differently. Catch it like that. He wasn't, I want to just take you up to mountain. Nice view. Great, we'll climb up to Mulvamai or whatever, have a look at Wrexham. That's really lovely. Mold, a bit risky, you know, that sort of stuff. But we need, to, we, we need to look at 
And we need to begin to think in terms, I'm looking at this with a different view. I'm looking at it thinking, what do I do with 50 musicians? What do I do with 20 preachers? What do I do in Catherine Finch Centre? I'm beginning to think in terms of, and it fuels something, doesn't it? We, we, our attitude is, is one of maintaining, and God wants us to lift up and see population. And he wants us to think, Sister Abraham, I want you to think in terms of population, not view. And that's what God wants. That's part of the expectation process. Are you with me? Okay. Keep going. You can tell by the... I'm getting to the end because you can see, look, there's no more space. And Ralph's fish is still going to miss, according to Ralph. I'm going to do you another slide with it in the bowl, Ralph. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it. Well, somebody's going to do it on Facebook just for you this week. But you don't do Facebook, Ralph, do you? Okay, we'll post it. I would have to put my hand up and say that I have been discouraged about our spiritual and numerical growth. And I would have to put my hand up in front of you and, and say that I, that I feel sometimes that, uh, that my, my dreams and my hopes have been uh, broken. They, they've been damaged. And I'd have to put my hand up and say that I, I've got weary waiting for the Lord. Uh, and... It's hard. Uh, I found that hard. Um, I anticipated much more after eight years than, than we do now. And uh, it's interesting that the Lord said to Abram at a low point when Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. You know, the hardest time to lift up your eyes is at a low point. Do you know that's the most important time? And God's got to speak to me on this. He's got to say, Nigel, you've got to lift up your eyes. It isn't just about lifting up your eyes when it's okay. It's lifting up your eyes when Lot has cleared off. And here's another thing, is that right now, Abraham's alone and God speaks to him. And sometimes I know that for myself, I need to go alone and I need to go and seek God for what he said. And I want to encourage you to do that. I know that we've talked about the corporate thing but if you're going to get this right, sometimes you need, to go, uh, you need to go and speak to God alone about these promises that we have had. You need to climb a hill overlooking Wrexham and see what God has said to us. You need to go and get yourself stirred. Don't rely on somebody poking you up the spiritual bum so that you will, so that you will become Smith Wigglesworth next week. Which is what I think happens in Christians, don't you? At some point, somebody else is going to pay. We always sort of, well, if somebody did this for me and did that and did that and did the other, the other for me, then what would happen is that I would be Smith Wigglesworth. That's what we do. You know, that's how we generally think, don't we? I am like I am because I've done. Here, L- listen. Hear me? Don't do that. You go get yourself sorted out with God. Go and deal with it with yourself. Go and get yourself I can't change your past, but, I can't, but God can change your future. Uh, Isaiah said this, rem- uh, Do not remember the former things. Behold, I'm doing uh, a new thing. You know, if, I, if you have an expectation that God is going to move and you want God to show you gateways offspring, then what I'd like you to do is that in your diary, I'd like you to diary in some time when you go and ask God to meet with you 
And here's what I believe. God will show you your offspring. Don't rely on the pastor coming round just to solely encourage you. If I was encouraged, I would be better. Abraham was not encouraged. He was in a mess. Uh, Lot had met him. God, God met with him and showed him. I believe that for you. Lastly, and we're coming to the end. I don't know how we're going to fin- finish this, really. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> uh, keep looking, even in times of refining. If I went around this room, most of us are in a mess, huh? <laughs> Isn't that true? Most of us go, oh, I can't, I can't do this. You know, come on. If we're honest with us, you know, there's always something that we, that we can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. You know, it's, let me just take you to a story, and then I'll finish with this. Genesis chapter 21. And, and she went down, that's Hagar, and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. And she said, let me not look on the death of the child. She didn't want to see. She's, tr- she's about right, isn't it, really? Nobody wants to look at that, do they? And she went and sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice, and, because she looked at what she saw, and she wept. And God heard the voice of a boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and saw the well, and she saw a well of water. And she went and she and she filled the skin with water, and she gave the boy to drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an expert uh, with a bow. Now Hagar was in desperate need, and God provided for her. But I don't know if you've ever thought this. How did the well get there? How did the well get there? Where did the well come from? Well, we know that the Arabs, shepherds, didn't dig it for travellers. It's not a traveller's well. Uh, it's a well for sheep. So not only could she not see a well initially, it's not the type of well that you'd want to give to somebody who's sick. It's a sheep thing. But here's what I see, that actually life is full of hidden wells of blessing and they are usually found in the midst of huge difficulties if you would find them. That's how it is. If only you would believe and expect that there's a well for you and there's a well for this church. They'll supply you with water in your wilderness. And God has hidden plenty of wells around. That's the way that he is. And there's a huge need in our churches today to break through with godly expectation. You know, and... uh, I think we need to look again. This is what happens. God says, look again. Look again. What what do you think of the people that you were around? Look again. Look again. What can you see? Well, that's our so-and-so. So so they've never proved themselves to be any good, have they really? Look again. Look again. Look, Look with God's eyes. Yeah, but... No buts. Look again. Look again. Up. Lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand. For you will 
I will make him into a great nation. What a wonderful statement. You see that? Look again. Yeah, but they messed up. No, I will make them into a great nation. Look, they look dead on the floor. No, I will make them into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. She went and she filled up her skin from this water, gave the boy a drink. He grew up. You know, I'd like to say to you that you won't have a Hagar time. But I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, you will. Not only will you have a Hagar time, but you'll have many. Your life is going to be littered with Hagar times. Just is. That's the way that it is. You won't get a Hagar time when you get to heaven. You'll be all right then. Okay? But while you have breath on this earth, you can have Hagar times. That's encouraging, isn't it? But just somebody needs to tell you the truth. And me. I'm going to have Hagar times. And young Derek on the front row. Because he's one of the youngest ones. He's going to have a longer Hagar time than anyone else. You know, not only that, the church will have Hagar times. It will get through one Hagar time, it will have another. Churches will always have Hagar times. That will be the, the existence of the church. You, you know that, else Paul wouldn't have written to the Ephesians about the armour of God, would he? If you've got a, now it's a breeze. Wouldn't no. Dear Ephesians, church life breeze. No worries. Now, and... You will think, like Hagar did, this is not going to plan, it's dreadfully wrong, and, and the consequence of this may be death. And I would say, you know, as a church, that we are in a Hagar time. Our numbers have been reduced, and they may even reduce even further. Our finances are stretched, and they may be stretched even further. And as your pastor, I would say, our confidence has been given a massive blow, hasn't it? Yeah, and we're trying, but our confidence has been given a blow. Where we are is not what we expected. It's not what we expected. Please understand my heart here. I don't want you to feel condemned, but I do want to hear the truth. What can we do? We can expect there will be an angel of the Lord for us. <laughs> that wonderful problem. And the angel of the Lord said fantastic what do you think these promises are about and the angel of the lord said and i went okay so god said and the angel of the lord said <laughs> that's what's been happening that's these prophecies one after another after another and the angel of the lord said one after another after another. don't you realize the angel of the lord is saying <laughs> it's wonderful isn't it the angel of the lord said what is the angel of the lord asking us to do lift our eyes Lift your eyes. Stop looking down. Look up. Stop looking at what you can see. Look up. What is it? What we're looking up from? It's hard. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. To put it in the the Greek, it's blooming hard. What does God want us to see? He wants us to see a well of blessing that will bring life. And he wants to turn that well of blessing not only into life, but a great nation. He wants to populate. He wants to turn us into a great nation. So what I'm doing, what am I doing in expecting? It's simply this. 
I'm behaving a way that God will do as he promised and he's able to do as he promised and I'm believing in that. And my encouragement is, church, today, let's start believing, let's start believing and behaving in a way that says, I believe these things to be true. Amen? Amen, Derek? Sorry to call you Hagar. It's a lovely name.